Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. What's up, 11 a.m.? We good? Am I on? Um, if you're brand new with us, so glad you're here. Uh, if you brought your kids and you don't like it, that's a shame because uh, your kids will make you come back. I'm just gonna tell you that. Um, next weekend, real quick, we start a brand new series um, that I'm excited about that I'll be teaching for just two weeks, but it's called Filters. And it's about the whole idea that who you listen to actually influences the trajectory of your life. And that's not an overstatement. Like who you listen to, who you tune into, determines a ton about your life. What I'm really excited about is week two of this, which is November 12th. Um, I'm interviewing my dad. So it's gonna be a little bit different that weekend. And I could not be more excited. Many of you maybe know, or maybe a lot of you don't know, he's been a pastor for over 40 years, uh, still serves on our staff. And so we're gonna talk about life, um, parenting, how to walk through really difficult times, like the loss of your child, or your wife, um, just how to thrive in life, how to maintain faith. And so do not miss um, that weekend on November 12th. And a new series is a great time to invite somebody. So Filters begins next week. Uh, with that, we're ending this series called Holy Ghost Stories. And I came across this on Instagram this week on this thing that I follow. But can we just all agree about this one thing? that 1920s Halloween costumes are the scariest costumes in the history of Halloween. And if you're not tracking with me, I'll just give you a couple examples like this right here. <laughs> like that will give you nightmares. That is terrifying. And then just one more. Um, yeah, I know. Who dresses their toddler up like that? But this is just a day in the life in 1925. Like those kids will kill people. Um, <laughs> So the whole series, if you haven't been here, and I would love for you to go back and listen to it or podcast it if you're uh, watching somewhere. Um, but the whole idea of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, I mean, I've said for weeks, even Holy Ghost, I don't know what it is about that. That term makes, reminds me of some kind of backwoods snake handlers. I don't know why. Um, Holy Spirit, it can be very weird and ethereal and mysterious and depending on your background, but that's why I wanna talk about it this month. And there's usually extremes, as we've said. Like one extreme is, this idea of the Holy Spirit that's, that's weird. Um, in some cases, it's overly emotional. And maybe some of you grew up with that. Um, and in some cases, it can just be straight up manipulative. Like what people attribute to the Holy Spirit and then get away with stuff is just ridiculous. So that's one side of it. And then the other extreme is you don't ever even talk about it. Like there's no mention of it. There's no emotion. I mean, some of you maybe grew up with that kind of religion. Just no emotion, no expectation, no power. And yet, as we've said, Jesus in his like final hours before he's gonna be betrayed and crucified, he's with his guys and he makes them this promise. Like, hey guys, I know you're nervous. The walls of Jerusalem are coming in around you. You're afraid for your life. But they're thinking if Jesus is there, we're gonna be okay. And so Jesus turns to them and is like, actually, I've got, I've got to leave, which terrified them even more. And then he makes this ridiculous promise. But when I leave, I'm gonna give you something better. And they're like, what could be better than you? But really what Jesus was saying is that the Holy Spirit inside of them was better than Jesus beside them, which is a crazy statement because they had hung out with Jesus for three years. They'd watch Jesus raise the dead, give sight to the blind, cause the lame that couldn't walk to be able to walk. And they're like, who's gonna be better than that? And yet Jesus made this promise that the Holy Spirit, which is, as I said, I can't explain this, but God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, Holy Spirit is one God in three distinct persons. That, that Jesus has promised that he was gonna send the Holy Spirit, not an it, but a person to relate to us personally. That literally the Holy Spirit for everybody who believed and followed Jesus and trusted Jesus. And again, if you're new to all this, this is gonna be so weird, so come back next week. But the Holy Spirit would inhabit them and would indwell them. And literally it would be God's means of communicating his presence and his power to everybody that believed. It would be God's spirit inside of them. And literally what the scripture says is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that enabled, the same power that strengthened Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit. It's the same power that's gonna be given to us if we're followers of Jesus, if we believe in Jesus, not just God with us. I mean, that's pretty cool. God in us, 
a whole new ball game. But here's what's really interesting that I kinda wanna dial down on a little bit as we end this series is, what Jesus was introducing through the Holy Spirit though was something that was incredibly relational. This is what makes it different than any other religion. Honestly, it's what makes it not a religion because Jesus came not to introduce like a new form of religion. He came to introduce a vastly different kind of relationship with God through the Holy Spirit that would change everything, that would be intensely relational and that honestly the world had never seen. And so at Pentecost, which is this thing that happened first century where Jesus did what he promised, which he filled these people with the power of the spirit of God and the movement began to move and Jesus followers began to change everything in the first century. But then over time, they began to kind of drift back toward religion again. This thing that was intensely relational, led by the spirit of God suddenly became a religion. And here's the thing for a lot of us, you know, 2000 years later, that's just kind of our default. And that's what a lot of us have slipped into or what you grew up with. It just became another religion. And here's basically what religion tells you. Let me summarize every religion. Every religion basically says this. um, I ought to, I don't, I'm screwed. That's every religion. Like you ought to, you don't, you're screwed. I didn't know what other language to use. So you can, you know, if that was offensive, put something else in there. But you ought to, like every religion, like here's what you should do, here's what you should live up to, here's what you should obey, here's what you should, you know, grab a hold of in terms of teachings. And even if it's not religion, we even have that internally. It's just thing inside of us that goes, this is what I should do, this is what I shouldn't do, here's how I should live my life. But every religion has ought to's. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to live up to. And then for every human being in every part of history, we don't. I mean, not 100% of the time. Here's the list, here's the rules, I don't live up to it. I'm screwed, because what do I do from there if the rules in the list is kind of my means to be okay with God? Because that's what religion says. If you do, then God will. As long as you're checking the boxes, God's gonna be pleased with you. In fact, um, in The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis, and I probably nobody's read that, but maybe somebody uh, has, um, one person, thank you. In that, he basically summarizes all religion. He kind of calls it common law religion. This is kind of the threads that that weave most religions together. And and all of these are good things. Um, Don't harm others. Don't lie. You know, don't have sex with another person's spouse. Uh, Care for the weaker. And then they add, you know, a million other rules. But those are kind of the rules that every religion tends to adhere to. But when you're in a religious system, what happens is when you break the rules, religious systems always have rules to get you back toward the rules and toward God. You know what I'm saying? So if you break the rules, don't worry, there's more rules. And those rules will help get, and you generally ends up kind of being narcissistic self-punishment. I didn't live up to it again. I just please God. How do I kind of get back in God's graces? And the Jesus movement was so relationally driven. And then around AD 280, this kind of thinking started to weave its way in again. And you know why, right? Because religion and rules and systems are the default mechanism of every human being because it's just cleaner, right? Just give me a list. I totally get it. I'm type A. Like, I just want, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like, just tell me how I need to be more disciplined. Give me seven things, like make it clear, put it down on a list. And every human being at some level is like that because everything outside of that becomes a little bit more ambiguous, a little bit more ethereal. So just give us a list. But what happens is when you're in that kind of system, what happens? You feel proud when you keep the rules and then you throw out the ones that you can't. Isn't that true? And what ends up happening happening without meaning to is you just create a lot of hypocrites and a lot of loopholes. Because when you don't live up to it, you gotta look the part. So you just try to figure out like workarounds and circumvent the system. And Jesus comes into you know, New Testament and goes, I'm offering something completely different. And so what I wanna do in a few minutes is try to explain the way that Jesus describes following him by the power of the Holy Spirit and specifically through the writings of Paul opposed to a religious system. Because I'm just gonna tell you, and I hope I can make this clear. And if I can't, just come back next week. But if you just live your entire journey and it's about a religious system, you will constantly live frustrated. In fact, one of the things that you'll hear that honestly most of us agree with that I think is terrible terminology is like, you just need to be more like Jesus. It's terrible. Let me just clue you in. The only person who's gonna be like Jesus is Jesus. You are not Jesus. 
I am not Jesus. In fact, we'll get to it in a minute. Jesus actually offers a completely different invitation and it's subtle, but it's this whole thing of like, what do I need to do to be like Jesus? What do I need to transform? Where do I need to get more discipline? How do I get another filter on my computer? Like, what do I need to do to make it happen? And Jesus is like, that's not gonna work. And what will happen is you will end up just being in a place where you're not enough, your sin becomes your identity and you just give up. But instead Jesus said, no, actually I've come to give you my life, to give my life for you and to give my life to you by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live out my destiny for your life. But religion is not gonna do that for you. I love what Paul says, because he this is the most like relatable verse I feel like in all the New Testament he writes this, see if you relate. This is his summary of religion. I don't, I don't understand what I do. For what I wanna do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. Anybody? That's the experience of every religious person. Like, I know this is what I should do. I think this will help me. I'll be a better parent. This is better for my future. I think financially I'll be healthier. I think I'll feel better emotionally. And then I don't do it. Why do I, why do I make decisions that like I'm agreeing this is good for my life. And then I literally make decisions that will undermine and take the legs out from under my own future. And I'm sitting here going, no, no, no I wanna do that. But I can't do that. Then when I do it though, I'm mad because I did it again, but I don't want to do it again. I want to do this thing over here, but it just feel like I don't have the power to do it. And so verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, are you still with me? I agree, it gets more confusing, so don't worry. Like that's, I agree that the law is good. It just means this, the should and ought to that is naturally inside of you. And I would just make the argument, even if you don't believe in God, it's there. Now you may not attribute it to God, you gotta figure out where that comes from, but it's there. The I should, I shouldn't. And basically what Paul's going, this is just, I, I know I should. I, by the way, I think it's a good idea. I just can't. And the very thing I wanna do, like my vision for my best self for the future, I continually undermine him. I continually fall short. And then he says this, this is kind of um, old school translation, but I, what I grew up with in verse 24, chapter seven, he says this, what a wretched man I am. Basically, again, just, excuse my language, but dang, I suck. Like I keep trying, I keep grinding, I keep trying to meet the list. I'm like, I'm doing everything I can. I got an accountability partner, but this is the dynamic or the tension of every religious person of like, what is wrong with me? And I just think if you're honest, which we typically aren't in church, like you've been there, right? I mean, you look amazing, but there's times where you just go like, why do I continue to do this? And then I love what he says next. This next verse is so incredibly powerful. And some of us have heard it so much, it, it loses some of its power, but he says this. This is Paul writing, thanks be to God. After all of that, which is kind of depressing, then he gets to this, but thanks be to God. Who does what? Who delivers. God who delivers me through. Jesus Christ, our Lord, and through, as we're gonna see in a minute, the power of the spirit of God that's in us. Now, here's the thing. We romanticize the scripture. I said this earlier in the series. It's kind of a storybook to some of us. Just get the realness of this. Like Paul's a real guy. Paul was the chief like architect of undermining the Jesus movement, overseeing the destruction and the killing of Christians. And then God's like, I'm gonna put you on my team. And he has this incredible conversion experience. And then he goes and starts becoming the greatest church planner in history. Like you can't write the story of the church without Paul. So there's this dramatic conversion. And when Paul writes this, this is only 22 years after the resurrection. This guy is hung out with James, the brother of Jesus. Like they had coffee together. He was with Peter, he was with John. Most likely because he was with John, he spent time with Mary. Like he heard the stories, all the guys that were there, the people that saw a crucifixion and they smelled the smells and they saw the sight. Like he took a tour to the tomb and recognized, no, it's empty. This is real. God has done something in our midst. He's still living around the same city where tons of people were eyewitnesses to this unbelievable event where Jesus rose from the dead. This is not ethereal. It's not like in a land far, far away. This is 22 years later, a real guy who lives in history. And Paul believed that God had done something unique and that the power of the spirit of God was in them. And that power by the spirit of God had the potential and the power to break the bonds of any religion that we are held captive to. That it had the power to break the bonds and the chains and the shackles of any dysfunction, any sin and any habit that holds us back. And so he says, listen, all of this is true of me too. I do stuff I don't wanna do and the things I wanna do, I don't do. But I'm just telling you, God is able to deliver you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and the power of the spirit of God. It's real. It's in you. And so it's why Paul spends a lot of his time in the New Testament 
talking about this dynamic between religion and law and this whole idea of following Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and living under the law. And so here's what he says in Romans 18. He basically just builds the case of like, if you're living in a religious system, you're never gonna measure up. Here's the alternative. Now, here's what I wanna tell you. I'm taking very complicated verses in Romans and in Galatians that have a lot of layers and I'm gonna try to make it as street level, practical as I can. This is what I said the first service. If you get to the end of this message, you're like, I didn't understand any of that. I'll see you for filters part one next week. So here's what it says in Romans, but I, I think you'll track with me. Romans 8, three, this is incredible theology. For what the law, any law, any religious system, any, here's the set of rules. For what the law was powerless to do. Just real quick, all that means is, the only thing religious systems and laws and the 17 rules that like, they, and by the way, religious systems with rules and laws always change by generation, denomination, and area of the country. They're, they're always subjective. So he's like, whatever the rules are, here's what you have to know about the law and the rules. The law and the rules, the only thing they can do is tell you you don't measure up. It's a mirror. In fact, the writers in the street, it's a mirror to just go, didn't measure up again, did it again, suck again. You still don't that? Are you serious? How many times have you asked forgiveness? Here's the standard. Here's what you should do. Here's how you should live. Still not doing it. Still not measuring up. Went right back to that habit again. That's all the law can do, but the law can't give you any power to change, right? All I can do is, here you go. You don't measure up. And in fact, some of you, that was your whole like religious experience growing up. You just go to church, feel bad about yourself. And somehow you felt like that was being closer to God. Like, yeah, I do suck. You go away, but you had no power to do anything about it. And Paul's going, because what the law was powerless to do because it was uh, weakened by your sinful nature, like you don't have it in you. And then I love this. What the law couldn't do, what the religious system couldn't do, what your denominational rules couldn't do, God did. But God did that. The law will just tell you, you don't measure up, good luck. It's Jesus who came and said, I'm gonna do something that the law and the rules and the religious system could never do for you. And for some of us, we'd be like, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. Give us heaven. No, I mean, yes, that's part of it. But the idea that boiled down like this, this lame Christianity that's all about just Jesus came and we have heaven, it's way bigger than that. Jesus didn't come through your belief and trust in Jesus to give you heaven. Jesus came to break the power of sin and dysfunction that has held you hostage. That was the most subdued, slowest clap I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> here's the thing, like here's the thing about the law. The law, and again, all throughout scripture it talks about it, the law actually just incites rebellion. Now don't take my advice in terms of parenting because we're midway through it, so maybe nothing we do works. And what, like I'll come back 10 years later, like we screwed up so bad. <laughs> but my hunch is the fewer rules, the better. The more rules I give my kids, the more off the rails they become. The more I narrow it down to like, these are the irreducible minimums, which I won't talk about now, but we basically have two rules in our house and everything centers around that because if I can get you to do that, they become keystone habits for everything else. But the rules just incite rebellion. Tell me I can't and immediately I want to. And that's not just at eight. It's still that way at 88. It's, it's for all of it. I'll give you one example. So this summer, and this is, I can't go into the whole story because you're gonna think I'm crazy. Um, and I, if you follow my wife on Instagram, some of you already know this, but this summer, uh, we had a vision for a while to do this. So it wasn't just out of the blue, but we built a hobby farm where we live. And it's a little more than the hobby farm because it does produce stuff like eggs and whatnot. And so we have goats and bunnies and a ton of chickens that we get a ton and then a bunch die and then we get a ton more. And, and it's fun. And my boys, like they, they're up at like 6.30 a.m. every day um, taking care of it. It's this really awesome thing and we love it. But one day I was out there and I have no idea why I did this because I feel like I'm better than this. I'm more experienced by this point. But I just had this thought, like they're, they're Nigerian dwarf goats, if you know what that is. They're not that, they're not that big, um, but my boys aren't that big. But I just had this thought of like, just knowing them and their mischievous nature. I was like, don't, don't ride the goats. And immediately I'm like, ah, because the moment I plant that in their head, I'm like, I, so lo and behold, three weeks later, I am standing in the upstairs uh, room with my daughter and having a conversation. I look out the back window and we have this whole fenced in area with like a little barn and the chicken coop and all that. And they, they let the goats out every once in a while. So they let the goats out. And I look out and not to my surprise, there's my middle child riding a goat across my backyard. And then the other one is down in like a get ready position and he's headbutting and fighting the other goat. Like this is what my boys are doing in the backyard. And the, and the thing is, 
Maybe they would have come up, but that was all my fault. Like, I don't even think they had thought about riding a goat until I'm like, don't ride the goat. And immediately they're like, riding the goat sounds like a really great idea. And so they did it. And my point is just like, whatever example you wanna use, like we all have those. And so Paul's like, I wanna take you in a completely different direction because approaching God through the law, that's our default. It's just easier. Give me a list, give me some rules. I'll get this done. God, what does it take to be okay with you? I'll do it. But ultimately it's gonna lead to defeat because you won't measure up. And then you'll get in this cycle where your sin becomes your identity. I'll talk about this later. And then that's what keeps you stuck. You can't get out of it. And then when you do do well for a little while, you'll just, you'll just kind of you know, judge everybody else around you and then that's gonna flame out. And you'll ultimately end up defeated and feeling like you're not enough. And for some of you, it's literally the reason you kind of walked away. Cause like, I just don't think I'm the following Jesus type. And so here's the hinge verse. So here's what he says in Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not be your what? That in Christ, when you decide Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin, you rose again in history and I'm asking you to save me, to follow me in that moment in Christ with the power of the spirit of God inside of you. Suddenly the power of sin in your life is broken. You're like, no, it's not. No, it is. Because that's not dependent on your experience. That's not dependent on whether you're actually living it out because you're not experiencing it. It has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. What is true is you may be living in this place where sin is controlling you, but if you are in Christ by the power of God's spirit, it doesn't have to because Jesus broke the power of that sin. And it should not be your master because you are not under law. Basically meaning if you're ever gonna live free from the power of sin, dysfunction, habits and things and the person you don't wanna be, this is, so important, but it makes people so nervous. You have to figure out how to get out from outside of religion, religious systems, the rules, the here's 10 things, and you have to learn to follow Jesus by the power of the spirit of God in your life. Otherwise, you'll never make it because you're not under law, you're under what? So does that mean I just do whatever I want? What do you think? No, no. It means, I'll get there in a second, your motivations, your desires, your outlook completely changes. And so he says, you're not under law, you're under grace. Isn't it funny, like as you get older, like there's certain things that we chalk up to progress that aren't even really progress. We're like, man, I, like this thing I really struggle with, I don't even struggle with anymore. But the reality is we just kind of traded one thing for another. Like you're 38 and you're like, I don't cheat anymore. Like you don't go to school anymore. Like I know, but I, I beat it. <laughs> No, you just traded it for another thing. But we think like somehow we've made progress. And I'm telling you, Paul is making the point, the law can't help you. This is why I don't have time to go there. But when Jesus shows up, it's so shocking to some of you because you you were never taught this. The Old Testament, I believe, is inspired. The law and the prophets and those who wrote about the coming of Jesus and what he was gonna usher into the world, all of it, it was inspired by God. It was this thing to lead us to the Savior come into flesh whose name was Jesus to offer us the Holy Spirit. But all of that law stuff, all of the commandments, all of the, the, the laws in the Old Testament, all of that was simply a foreshadowing of what God was gonna do. It literally was several thousand years of going, here's the law. You can't measure up to it. You need a savior. Here's the law. You don't measure up. You need a savior. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, I'm here. And now, and Jesus said this himself, I have fulfilled all the law and I've replaced it with a singular command that now you can throw away all the rest because now, unlike those in the Old Testament, you're gonna have the power of the spirit of God to lead you and to direct you. You don't even need the laws. Even if you can't find a verse, even if your Bible app doesn't download, you have everything you need to live out what I'm calling you and you don't have to do it under a religious system any longer. You can do it by the power of the spirit of God because the law cannot help you. You have to abandon it. And then he drives it home in Galatians 5. But I just wanna read this one verse before I get there. And I'll, I'll get into it. But this is kind of Jesus, Jesus foreshadowing what this relationship looks like. And I'll just tell you, this is like ethereal. I, I'm so practical and like, give me three things that I get like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. But I just wanna paint the picture for you because this is what Jesus says about this relationship with him. It's so unlike religion where he says in John 15, five, this is what it should look like. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And if a man or a woman or a child or a teenager remains in me and I in him, relational, God in you, he will bear much, what? Fruit. This is that thing where you just kind of look back and 
And it's weird, it's almost like you don't know how it happened. It wasn't like, well, I got this, I got this plan together and then I, you know, I had this strategy. If I just do these seven things, I think I can overcome this. And then I got an accountability part. I mean, maybe that's great, I don't know. But this is just kind of, you look back and three years later, like, man, my relationships are different. I used to be incredibly angry and I feel like some of, some of that anger is gone. I, there's no way I could have forgiven them in another season of my life. And it's not like I had this big willful plan. All of a sudden it's just something happened or that thing that I couldn't let go of. It just felt like it was owning me. And all of a sudden it's almost like I don't want that thing anymore. I wanna do something different. I don't know how I did that. Because it's just fruit. And, and what he's saying is the, maybe your translation says abide, remain in me. Where the branch gives life and back and forth, the, the vine and the branches are kind of this interconnected relationship where all of a sudden just fruit is produced and they don't like even work towards it. It's just what happens in relationship where you're going, okay, how do we work together? In our context, Holy Spirit, how, how do you wanna lead me? What do you wanna do in my life? Like you've never seen like a fruit tree go, mm, psh, with fruit come out. And I don't know why I did that because that's gonna be on video. So I would love <laughs> if you guys would edit and splice that. But you don't, nobody ever seen that. That's not how it works. And, G, and Jesus is trying to make the point. I, I want you to have that kind of relationship because this is so important. Because apart from that kind of relationship, he says, you can do nothing. It's why for some of us, our whole Christianity just doesn't work. And so here's what he says in Galatians 5 of, of kind of how we do this. And I'll just tell you, what Paul writes is brilliant, but it's kind of confusing because he dictated this. And so you gotta kind of weed through it. I'm gonna try to make this at street level and then give you some application. But he, here's how he says this, and it's so important. Chapter five or 16, Galatians, he also writes about this in Romans 8. It's almost the same content. And he says, so I say, what? So I say, live by the spirit. And again, you're like, well, no, I just give me four things. He's like, I'm not giving you four things. I want you to learn to walk, to be in rhythm with, to be in step with the spirit of God in you. Like, what do you want? Where are you leading me? I know what I've heard. I know what they said. I know what they're encouraging me to do, but what, what do you want? How should I respond? How do you wanna live your life through me? Live by the spirit to where all of a sudden in certain seasons, some of you, some of you can relate to this. Some of you had these seasons where you were so disciplined and on it and you had all these people and you were in a group and there was a list of six things and you had never felt more defeated. And then something changed where you suddenly got the relational aspect of this. And then all of a sudden a year later, somebody reminds you of like, have you seen what's kind of going on in your life? You're like a different person. And you look back and go, how does that happen? He's like, I want you to live by the spirit. And when you do, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And all this means is that stuff in us that actually are good desires given by God that can be distorted. You've heard me talk about this, right? Every good desire can be distorted. And what happens is when you're not being led by the Holy Spirit, you have these desires for contentment and pleasure and peace and wholeness. And all of those desires have been placed in you by God. The only problem is we go looking for our own way to fulfill those things. And so we take good desires by God and then we distort those desires. You tracking with me? So marriage, which is a beautiful thing, becomes a codependent train wreck. God created it, but that's not how he created it to work. God gave you the unbelievable privilege, maybe if this is you, of parenting children, being a foster parent to children. And suddenly those kids that are a beautiful gift from God become your identity and they're killing you and it's killing your kids. Or the incredible gifts of, of good wine and a good meal and sex suddenly becomes alcoholism and perversion. Every good gift can be distorted. He's like, when you begin to be led by the spirit of God, you'll just find yourself not wanting to gratify these God-given desires in distorted ways because you will just want different things and you won't discipline your way into that. It'll just kind of happen. And then he says this, for the sinful nature, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature, they're in conflict with each other. That's the whole thing we're like, I really want to, but here's what God says. I really, I mean, I feel like I'm missing out on something, but God said, or it's the other side of, I don't wanna do this. This isn't gonna be good for me, but I do it anyway. And he's like, that's a conflict between those distorted desires in you and the spirit of God who wants to rule and have control of your life. And as long as you're under the law, you're gonna muster up enough willpower every once in a while, especially if you're kind of more disciplined naturally. And then you're gonna judge other people on the basis of, yeah, look, I, you know, I, I met the seven things while you completely ignore all the other stuff that you can't get right. And again, that's what religion does. I mean, every denomination, it feels like has a different set of rules 
that don't match other denominations and everybody just judges themselves off of that. And you're like, well, that's amazing that you didn't have a beer, but you treat your wife like crap. Maybe that should be on the list. And that sounded a little harsh, but do you know what I'm talking about? And so this whole thing, he's like, listen, as long as you do that, you're, you're gonna meet the rules and then you're gonna judge people. And can I just give, just since I'm already, I just feel like kind of going there this morning. Can I just give you this, this little insight if you're somebody who's felt incredibly judged by other Christians at certain times. Can I, just don't let it leave the room, um, including if you're on radio. But can I just tell you why they do that? Why we do that? It's because most of the time, it's, those people are under a religious system where here's what I need to do. And God, am I good? God, are we okay? God, have I done enough? And they secretly look at you and judge you. And they would never say this out loud because you're doing what they want to do. And so they look at you, I can't believe it. And inside they're like, oh, lucky. Because they feel like they're missing out on something. And that's what happens in a religious system. Or the other side of it, you just end up giving into it. You can't help yourself. You did it again. You're captive to that habit and all of a sudden you feel condemned, you feel shame, you end up just staying stuck there and you can never get out. And so Paul says, verse 18, but if you are what? If you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. That over time, try to explain this as best I can, the conflict begins to be diminished. That every time you just kind of throw away the religious thing to go, okay, Holy Spirit, lead me, direct me. What do you wanna do through me today? I surrender to you today that every time you take one step of faith in that direction, you go, okay, I don't, I don't get it, but I'll do it. If you're asking me to forgive, I, I, they don't deserve it, but I'll, I'll say yes. That something happens inside of you where over time that conflict begins to be reduced and God begins to remove you from some of that struggle because he transforms your desires. Meaning you will begin over time to want different things. If you like look at a Christian that just is constantly going, mm, I gotta do it, gotta, gotta figure it out. That's somebody who's lit. It's not that hard. Now I simultaneously say that to go, it's very hard, but it's not that hard. That as you begin to follow, it's not this white knuckle thing where your life just seems like it's hell all the time. Jesus said, no, I've invited you into life to the full. And as you begin to follow me, I'm gonna change the desires of your heart because you're not under law. And then verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature, better translated the flesh, or they're obvious. They're so obvious, I don't even need to list them. Gossip, jealousy, addiction, anger, orgies. You know, stay away from that. The wake of busted relationships because of decisions you made. All the stuff, they're just, you get it. And this verse 22, look at the contrast. But, the what? But, verse 22, but the... <laughs> just a second but the fruit of the spirit, meaning what he's about to say next, this happens internally. It is fruit produced in you and through you, but not by you. This is different than, well, I'm, just, I'm gonna do good. Give me the list. I can do this. I can beat this. This is, I surrender to the Holy Spirit living through me. The contrast is, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness. And one of the primary byproducts of the Spirit of God at work in you is self-control. Against such things, there's no what? Which just means this. There's no longer need for legislation any longer in terms of your life. There is out there. <laughs> but all, all the law can do is just tell you you don't measure up. I mean, even civil law, all the law can do is here's the lowest common denominator for you not to end up in prison. In terms of our kind of religious faith story, all the law can do is go, here's the bottom rung, but it can never change your heart. It can never do anything internally. In fact, it just, it sets the bar low, but it can never inspire you to greatness in terms of how you live. And so Paul's like, this is what it looks like where all of a sudden fruit is just produced by the power of the spirit of God, where you almost just look back and it's not because you had a big patience plan. I mean, how many of you have woken up like, I'm gonna be more patient. How, how has that gone for you? <laughs> Especially if you have multiple kids. It doesn't work. But all of a sudden you look back and you go, somehow I'm more patient than I used to be. He's like, this is what it looks like, but here's what religious people do. You get to that verse and you're like, boom, that's what I've been waiting for. There's the list, gotta go, I'm gonna work on this. I'll make this happen. And Paul says, it doesn't work that way. This is a fruit list. 
not a to-do list. This is the byproduct of, this is the outflow of the spirit of God living in me and through me. Now, let me just say this to say, because I, I totally get, you look at some of those things on that list and you're like, I don't even know if I want some of those things. I mean, some of you, let me just be a little sarcastic, but you're like, that's great. If you're a pastor, that's what I expect you to say, or you're not very driven or you don't have stuff to do. And you know, you're living in your mom's basement, like whatever. But some of this stuff, like if you're, you're big time and you, you, know, you lead a board and you're the person everybody looks to, or you know, whatever, whatever the thing you do, we have a bunch of people like that. And you're like, I don't even know if I, if I did, if I were like that, I'd never get anything done. Everybody would just run over me. So let me just deal with that objection for just a second. Because the guy who wrote this, gives a lot of weight behind it. This is Paul. And I don't know if you know about Paul. Let me just put it in your language for a second. Paul was the guy that started all the Jesus franchises. Like Paul's the guy that did that. Paul is the guy, again, in your language, who left corporate in Jerusalem and took this new movement of Jesus all over the Mediterranean rim. And he planted all of these Greek word ecclesias, all of these churches. And I mean, almost single-handedly breathed life into the movement. And it just began to explode everywhere. And he wasn't like beat down in a boardroom. He was beat down. He was imprisoned. He was falsely accused. He was bitten by a snake. He was put on a boat that probably we would laugh at and put into these unbelievably treacherous seas. He risked his life, ultimately gave his life. But this guy franchised the Jesus model all over the world. And 2000 years later, there are billions and billions of followers. The movement of the church is alive and well. And I love you. And I'm sure you are amazing. Nobody's going to be talking about you 2000 years from now, but we're still talking about Paul. So the idea that I'm going to be less productive, uh, Paul would be like, no, no, just look at me. I'm saying you can do everything God's design, designed you to do in all of your type A, get it done. God's got a will and destiny for my life. But I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna do it in a different way, inhabited, empowered, and moved by the spirit of God in you. And come on, can't we just say this? Isn't this what you want for your kids if you have kids? Which is why, side note, I say this in love. I don't know why you wouldn't make it one of the greatest priorities of your life to get your kids in a great church that your kids love attending so that other people can help you in this journey of teaching your kids how to follow Jesus in this way so that ultimately this is what their life looks like. I think you should prioritize that above everything else. Travel ball, going to the beach, all the other. And I understand that's unbelievably unpopular, but I'm just telling you, I know how hard the parenting thing is. I'm a pastor, I have theological degrees, I need help. I think you should prioritize that above everything. This is what you want for your future in-laws. This is what you're hoping for some of you, that your partner, or your spouse would begin to exhibit in your relationship. And Paul's like, this is where the spirit of God and the fruit of the spirit ultimately leads you. Verse 24, so those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the sinful nature with its passions and its desires, meaning God begins to change those desires so that you live by the spirit. So let us not embrace 10 more rules, not figure out a better strategy, keep in step with the spirit of God in you that raised Christ from the dead, who wants to enable you, who wants to empower you, who wants to lead you in relationship every single day of your life. That's the whole New Testament. That is a completely different approach than what many of us or you grew up with. And I'm telling you, to live without this, you will end up unbelievably frustrated. It's really keep in step with the Holy Spirit, keep the law. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit, just submit myself to another religious system. And come on, I'm gonna say something maybe you've never heard. And I think I'm quoting C.S. Lewis, but I can't remember. Really following Jesus is just a pursuit of hedonism because it is God going, I've actually designed you for pleasure, but you tend to fulfill it in distorted ways. So I want you to follow me because literally the passion and the pleasure and the contentment and the joy that you're after, it's found in following Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so literally as you begin to follow Jesus, David wrote about this in the Psalm, delight yourself in the Lord and he will, literal translation, transform the desires of your heart. Literally following Jesus when you begin to be led by the Holy Spirit is just a life where you do what you wanna do, 
where suddenly that conflict diminishes of I wanted to, but I can't. God said that I can't, but I want to. Suddenly it becomes God transforms the desires of your heart to sync up with how he created you to pursue pleasure, how he created you to fulfill desires, how he created you to find contentment and joy and peace, which is what your soul longs for. And suddenly it's not, I have to do this. I gotta white knuckle this. I've gotta come up with a plan. It's I wanna do this. I wanna be led by the Spirit of God. I wanna sync up to experience all that God has for my life as He begins to transform your desires as you submit yourself by the power of the Spirit of God in your life. And Jesus left us with just one command. You don't need the 10 commandments anymore. I know it's shocking. You don't need a list of rules. Even if you lose your Bible for the next five years, I want you to love other people and I want you to love yourself the way that God has loved you in Christ by the power of the Spirit of God. And I want you every single day to get up outside of the religious system to go, I'm done with that. And by the way, it is not a measuring stick of my relationship with God. My relationship with God is measured by what Jesus has done for me. And now I just wanna get up every day to go, God, by the power of your spirit, I just wanna be led by you in relationship with you. And I don't know where that'll take me, but that's the kind of life I wanna live. And so the question is, how do you do that? How do you get there? first two weeks we said this and I, so I just I want to go over it again because the first thing is you submit yourself under God's authority which is kind of unpopular because kind of the American dream is to be autonomous and independent and not be under anybody's authority but that's not the way of God that you come to the place to go no God I'm, I'm submitting myself under your authority you say go I'm gonna go you say break up I'm gonna break up you say, go a different direction, say yes, say no, move into this by a step of faith, even when I can't see what you're doing, I'm just gonna trust you. I'm gonna submit myself under your authority because a declaration of dependence is an acquisition of strength and of power. And God will not allow his power to flow through you until you submit to his authority to go, I can't do this on my own. Eventually life will overwhelm me and overcome me and I need you and I need help. And God goes, Dad, now we're talking. As you submit yourself to my authority, I'm going to begin to deliver my power that's already flowing in and through you. And then the second thing is, you submit to his authority, which by the way, everybody is submitting to some kind of authority. For some of it, you, it's you. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to make it happen. You're trying to overcome. You're trying to be more disciplined. But when you submit to your authority, you're limited by your power. And you don't have what it takes. So Jesus said, submit yourself under my authority and then pray for power. And God will answer that prayer. But then the question is, okay, so how do we though just daily, how do we live by the spirit? How do we walk by the spirit? I'm so comfortable in the give me seven things. How do I get out from under that and just follow Jesus? I just wanna give you two things. And I'm praying somehow by the power of the spirit of God, he would ingrain this and it would move from your head to your heart. The first thing is you gotta accept your new identity. That when you trust Christ that he died rose again for you. You are not just given forgiveness of sin and you're not just given heaven. You are given, the scripture says, a brand new life that the spirit of God comes to inhabit you. All of his strength, all of his power, all of his goodness, all of his life. It is God's means to communicate his power and life to you. And what you have to understand, even secular thinkers have finally caught up to this, but Romans, Paul wrote it actually 2000 years ago. And he said, if you wanna transform your life, you gotta transform your mind. Not that you try to think something into existence. It's already true, but your thinking is not aligning with it. Your identity is not aligning with it, but your identity precedes behavior every single time. And for some of you, you are stuck in law and you just tell yourself over and over again, I can't, I won't, I always. I can't, I won't, I always. I can't, I won't, I always. You are disciplining your mind into living according to the flesh and into defeat every single time. But the spirit of God in you and God's identity says in you, no, no, regardless of what the behavior looks like, you have a different identity. For some of you, when you sin or when there's dysfunction, there's a habit, you treat it like an identity, but when it's actually an event. If you're in Christ, when you give in to something, that's an event, it's not an identity. That sin is not who you are. Who Christ says you are in the power of the Holy Spirit is who you are. And so you need to begin to look at those events and decisions as they are, they're events. It's not who I am. In fact, if anything, it's an identity crisis. Because some of you get on the other side of a behavior, right? And you're like, why'd I do that? Why'd we go out and do that again? Why did I give in to that behavior? That's not 
me. That's not who I am. And Paul would go, you're right. It's not, it's a conflict. You have a new identity. You have a new master. You have a new individual to follow. And when you behave in that way, you live outside of your identity. And because you give into that thing, it doesn't make that sin you, but you've got to begin to move your mind around who you actually are. If you're in Christ, let me just remind you one more time, you're a son, you're a daughter of God. You are lavishly loved in the midst of your dysfunction. You are purpose intended with a will and destiny. God has rearranged your family tree, given you a new DNA, a new father. And now you have the power over any sin because of the Holy Spirit and his power inside of you. And the more you identify with who you are, rather than that event or decision or sin, suddenly the power of sin and suddenly that sin and decision doesn't define you and doesn't perpetuate. Because here's what happens. When you are defined by your sin, when you give in, what happens? happens is you go, this is what I always do. This is how it always is. And you continue to perpetuate that thing over and over again, that multi-generational strain over and over again. But when you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you give in and recognize that's not what I want. That's not who I am. God's broken the power over this. So I'm done with this. And I'm just going to remind myself again, that sin is not me. I'm a son, a daughter of God. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And this has no power over me any longer. And when that happens, you begin to awaken to who you are in Christ and defeat the power of sin in your life. But it starts with embracing your identity. You are not your sin. And then the last thing is you have to refuse. And I mean this, you have, you have to go to war against, refuse to interact with God on the basis of law any longer. When the law comes knocking, you just need to know the law's sole responsibility is to go, you suck and you don't measure up. And Jesus entered into planet earth to know, no, 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 I've given you the power over this. And sin and its power was broken at the cross and it is not your master. And it has no power over you and no power over your body. And you may not feel it because you've lived in this dysfunction for 30 years, but by the power of the Spirit of God in Christ, you could get up tomorrow and begin to say no to that sin because the power that raised Christ from the dead, I'm telling you, there is no dysfunction. There is no relationship. There is no habit. There is no perpetual behavior. There is no multi-generational sin that cannot be overcome by the power of the Spirit of God in you to go. It has no power over me, my body, I do not have to say yes to this. I will walk in the power of the spirit of God and I will recognize that even when I fail, I'm not listening to the law any longer. I'm loved in Christ because he loved me and knew me before I ever did a single thing for his benefit. I'm accepted in him. I am worthy in him. I am secure in him. And now all I need is his singular command. I want you to go love other people and love yourself the way that God has loved you in Christ and submit yourself every single day. I submit to your authority. I'm praying for power. I'm gonna embrace my new identity of who I am in Christ, even when I don't feel it. And I will not allow the law to have mastery over me any longer. I am free in Christ. And don't believe for a minute that whatever God's destiny and will is in your life, that he hasn't given you everything you need to fulfill that in Christ. And you can live your entire journey, entire experience under religion. And that's fine, it's easier. It's 10 things. Nobody's gonna check your heart. You can look the part, but you will be frustrated for the rest of your life and you will never really experience power. And so I wanna just say to you as we close, in all honesty, like I just want you to be who you are if you're in Christ. And I think one of the hard things about my position sometimes is sometimes you feel like you want more for people than what they want for themselves. Because there's this understanding, do you know what you have? Do you know what God's done in you? Do you know what you received at salvation? Do you know what kind of power you've been wielding, but you've never tapped into it? Don't get another five years down the road and live for less than what was woven into your DNA by Christ and the power of the spirit of God in you. And fruit will begin to happen over time. You just realize my relationships are different. My emotions are different. My habits are different. My desires are different. The way I treat her is different. And I'm not even sure what I did, but it wasn't because of discipline. It's because I began to get up every day to go, God, how do I live this relationship and walk in step with the spirit by the power of the spirit of God in me? And I just wanna say to you, you have extraordinary potential 
not because I'm trying to pump you up, because the power of the Spirit of God is in you. Jesus, I just pray you do what you need to do in this moment. And for some of us, like it's so practical. There's just things right in front of us that we need to do. It may be taking a step toward um, engagement and community because we just need other people on this journey. And we're trying to play the kind of social cultural game. And I don't, I don't say that in disrespect, but just kind of the American Christianity game of attend a service every once in a while with no real connection with family, with local church and people to help in this journey. So I pray that'd be the first step for a bunch. They need to get into a group. They need to engage in giving their lives away through service and, and open themselves up to the relationships that God's gonna lead into their life to just lead them in this. God, for others, I just pray that you would speak into their incredible discouragement right now. And I've been there, we've, we've all been there. And they feel like they can't do it and they don't measure up and it's discouraging and they relate with Paul. I, the things I don't wanna do, I do. And the things that I'm really after, I, I completely fall short of. I just pray that you would encourage them by the power of your spirit that it may not feel like it. And it's not gonna happen overnight. It's not gonna happen tomorrow. But you have given them everything they need to quote the New Testament author, author for life and godliness that it's in them. And so I pray whatever that for some of us, an incremental tweak is not what we need. We need some kind of full on, God, I'll do whatever you want. I will surrender. I will, I will, I submit my life to you. So I pray for some, whatever that radical step is, they'd be willing to take it. But do your thing in hearts and lives. And I pray for those who've never embraced you as savior and they're still living outside a religious system, all they've ever been exposed to is the law that condemned, but it never gave them any hope for how to change and live differently, that they would just believe that Jesus came and lived the perfect life they could, died the death they should have died for their sin. And then three days later, he rose from the dead in history and they placed their faith and trust in you, not just for heaven, not just for forgiveness, but for new life, for the spirit of God in them. Do your thing in our church. We pray this in Jesus' incredible name. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.